iRadio 76 proudly presents the 515 Show with your host, John Sarver. Who's at the 515 door today? You know something that we <clears throat> ran out of time with this gentleman last time, and it was so compelling we just had to, had to call him back as, as fast as we most possibly could, and finally, this day has arrived. So, <laughs> Joe Pappas of the Motown slash Mopar Missile, how are you? I'm great. How are you, John? Dandy. Uh, we're not off uh, mic. We're talking about how um, Joe was out there getting his underbrush done and unfortunately broke his chainsaw today. But I think his fortunes are going to change now that he's with us. Oh, okay. of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So right off the top, for everybody that... There is such a huge story with Joe Pappas. You just want to, you know, put another log in the fireplace, sit back on the recliner and say, and go, Joe. But do tell us, because you have so many wonderful stories, and you say them so intriguingly wise, tell us again, for those folks who don't, the only thing that we're going to retract uh, from last time to this time, If a matter of fact, if you want to know the backstory of, of the first time uh, Joe Pappas Part one, just go to Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-N, and look down for uh, Joe's, uh, Joe Pappas' first show with us. Whew. Man, you are going to be entertained like no tomorrow. But the one question that folks lead off with, because they, they looked at the car and they said, how come this says Mopar missile and not Motown missile like the other ones? Well, um it's a pretty simple story. Uh, through 70, 71, and 72, Ted Spihar uh, owned uh, the Motown missile. Uh, it was a Chrysler test car. Ted was running the program. Uh, Don Carlton was the driver from 71 on. And it at the end of 72... The a uh, couple things happened. Um, there were some legal issues with Motown Records, who felt <laughs> that they owned the name Motown, Unreal. Uh, which which they did not. And uh, the program being funded by Chrysler and through Direct Connection and Mopar Parts, they really thought maybe it was a good time for Don Carlton to own the car. Ted Spihar to build the motors, um, our group with Carlton to do, run the test program, and change the name of the car to something that really had uh, more of a uh, Chrysler uh, vent to it. Mm -hmm. So they said, uh, let's call it the Mopar missile. Pretty simple. Um, and the rest is history, really. Uh, the Duster, which was the 73 car, was the car that really lit the world on fire in pro stock. Uh, as far as IHRA, it won all but two races. And in NHRA, it won one, but we only competed four times that year in NHRA. And we were runner-up at another race. So uh, it was a pretty good year for the 73 Mopar missile. Now, that was the time where uh, Chrysler, or I should say NHRA, was at war with, with Chrysler in quotes in war. You know, but, I mean, that's when they were refactoring and doing all kinds of weird things to 
the fine stuff coming out of Chrysler factories, wasn't it? Yeah, um, NHRA, um, what can I say? NHRA had their own way of doing things, and <laughs> they really hated it when um, the uh, Chrysler cars performed really well. Certainly in 1970, um, Ronnie Sox had the world by the tail, and uh, drove his Plymouth uh, to a championship, I believe, and uh, won almost everything. But that year, all the cars were factored equally. In other words, I believe the, the number was seven pounds per cubic inch of engine size, and uh, the Chevrolets had to run heads up with the Mopars and, uh, and the Fords. Well, uh, Chrysler... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, NHRA decided that, well, they needed to, you know, kind of fix things so that Mopars were um, not as fast and slow them down a little bit, give the other guys a chance. So they started factoring in uh, 1972 and three. I think, the factoring took place. Um, and, uh, eventually the Mopars got seven and a quarter pounds per cubic inch. The, um, Ford shotgun, the big, uh, Ford, uh, shotgun motor would be also seven and a quarter pounds, but by then they had all switched to the inline small blocks. So they were at six pounds, uh, seven pounds per cubic inch. And uh, or the canned valve motors were at seven pounds per cubic inch, and the uh, small block uh, Ford and uh, Chevy was at six and three quarter pounds per cubic inch. So it really hurt the Hemis, but uh, we tricked them and we still won in '73, uh, and we were runner up at uh, and low qualifier at Pomona that year. And they didn't like that, so they were um, uh, not real pleased with us. So we only ran four races with them that year. You know, you kind of almost sit back and you go, NASCAR did somewhat of the same thing. You know, to a degree where when the Superbirds came out and the Daytonas came out, it was like, yeah, okay, it seems like Chrysler, friends, you designed too well. You, you know, you win too much because you really put thought in engineering in your cars and you're beating everything in sight. Henceforth, we don't like that. You know, and, well, and especially being a Chrysler team that you were in, I mean, did you just throw up your hands and go, what do you guys want us to do? Well, I guess um, from an emotional stand, standpoint, <laughs> uh, yeah. You would say yeah. that. On the other hand, um, I, I, I see where they were coming from. We didn't like it. And I think that they had a bad taste in their mouth for Chrysler anyhow. Why? Because Chrysler management um, would really campaign very hard to uh, try to affect rule changes that were more favorable to Chrysler, and uh, they also, um, uh, by so doing, I guess, they kind of incurred the wrath of NHRA. 
though I have to say, everybody worked hard, but I think we just worked a lot harder than the other guys did to make power. Uh, we um, obviously had the missile program, which was the in-house test program for Chrysler. And the other manufacturers uh, did not quite do it as openly as we did. I'm sure they did a lot of development work, but we just we work seven days a week, 50 weeks a year, and um, that's what we did. That's that's all we did. It's a it's an amazing thing, especially when we go back to it. And you want to go back to hear Joe's first podcast with us when he was literally taking magnetic tape. <laughs> To get data, I mean, and, and utilizing so many different ways that you, we look at now and you go, oh, my God, how did the hell did you guys do that? But at the time, well, it was so revolutionary. It was different. I mean, certainly it, we were uh, above, uh, in front of the curve on that. Uh, so today, racers have the advantage of these really nice data packs you can buy. And... Uh, you know, it makes it so much simpler, but we had to create everything from scratch, and as a result, we had good, sound data to base decisions on, so we used science instead of seat of the pants to make decisions about what things to do to the car and what products to use, and uh, then we would pass that information on to the other Chrysler teams. As a result, they could all go fast. And um, that's just the way it worked. The other manufacturers didn't do that, to the best of my knowledge. They didn't pass the information down to all the teams that would be running, let's say, Ford products. If Don Nicholson or Wayne Gap and Jack Roush would find something... I'm not sure that it made it through the ranks to everybody else. And if uh, Jenkins found something, I'm not sure that it found its way to uh, guys like Dave Strickler or uh, Sam Janino, the other guys trying to run uh, pro stock. It just didn't work that way. But with us, it was we shared everything. We had to. But That's why it... we got paid. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it kind of... Odd, Joe, that if Chrysler had the missile program and whatever you guys are finding out, you spread it around, and yet uh, clearly Chevrolet had their own, I would assume, uh, factory program. You know, wouldn't it just help everybody out? Wouldn't the, the missile program be the the um, epitome of uh, programs for all the other manufacturers? Well, um, one would think so. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah. they, you know, it, it's, it all deal, it, it all starts with upper management within the corporation and how they distribute the information. I, I, I can't speak for GM. I can't speak for Ford, but I know that, uh, uh, Mopar was definitely committed to sharing that with the racers because they wanted to dominate and you can't blame them they invested a lot of money in it 
and they wanted uh, everyone to do well because the corporation looks good when that happens. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at a lot of the old uh, postdoc um, pictures, and you see an awful lot of uh, GTXs and, like, the 69 Fastback body style, the Barracudas, you know, sure. when the Challengers came out, of course. Um, you know, Joe, did, did Chrysler go to, or like your team, go to um, the Duster out of necessity, Duster Demon body style, as opposed to running the Barracuda Challenger body style? Um, yeah, there was a couple good reasons to do it. Uh, number one, it was a really high-selling uh, product. And it was also more aerodynamic. It was narrower uh, by about four or five inches than wow. the e-body cars, which were the Challengers and the Barracudas. So right away, you're, you're gaining aero. And as we all know, aero makes a big difference. Um, it, um, you look at the kidney bean cars they race today, uh, that's all about aero. Uh, they don't even look like real cars. <laughs> uh, well, they don't. They don't, you're right. And uh, as we just saw this past week, NHRA has created a new class uh called i think it's called like afx or something like that i'm yep. probably wrong nope you're right but uh you know it's going to take cobra uh jet uh mustangs uh, copo camaros and uh drag pack challengers and they're going to run kind of heads up there's still uh factoring going on but uh it's going to be i th i predict the new pro stock within a couple years you know, wasn't the original AFX almost like the front runner for Funny Car? It was. Um, they started. Uh, Chrysler always messed with the wheelbases on the cars, <laughs> even the even the super stock cars. They're a little bit hinky if you really get honest about it. Uh, and then the AFX cars they came out with in '65. Uh, the I think they built um, ten. I, I'm probably wrong. They built uh, five Dodges and five Plymouths, and um, they um, actually altered the wheelbase quite a bit. <laughs> and those became what we now know as funny cars. So that was the first real funny car where the wheelbase was altered so much that it they looked funny. Yeah, so. and, and that's why I'm trying to think, why would they call this... Class AFX, I mean, bring out that old uh, class name when there's really well, not a lot of AFX-y things going around. Yeah, well, just prior to that, the super stock cars were moving the wheels a little bit. And they had, uh, boy, my memory is failing me. I think there was enough of that going on that they start, they use the AFX terminology a little bit earlier than the big time altered wheelbase cars, but you know I could be wrong on that. Well, they, it's yeah. a long time ago. I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. And, <laughs> you know, you're trying to make me remember 1965. You know, the the funny thing is that we're getting from uh, hot off our hotline. 
at CKWI Radio 76. If you got a question for Joe Pappas, by all means, write in. Now, one that we have that's, and I'll paraphrase, when you say move the wheels, what are you talking about? Well, you know, if you want to um, distribute, you want the weight to be more to the rear of the car for better traction. Remember, in those days, we didn't have tires that were worth a darn compared to the tires they use today. True. So the way you would get weight transfer is you move the front wheels forward and you move the rear wheels forward and shift the body back on the chassis, so so to speak. So back then, you that's why those 65 um, cars that came out were, uh, you know, really, really highly altered. I think they moved them 10, 12 inches. They, wow. they moved them a lot. They didn't mess around. They they didn't even try to hide it. So um, they were pretty cool cars. Chris writes in from Oakland, California, a question for Joe. Is it conceivable in Mr. Pappas's thoughts, boy, this man writes well, uh, in Mr. Pappas's thoughts that there could be a new pro stock, but how could that be when you can't really, uh, he says you can't really, modify today's engine you know you, you can't put on dual quads i think that's where he's going you can't put on headers the cams the whole nine yards is like sox and right. martins did and you guys did you know could you do that in a, in cars today well um i mean how could you have a pro stock setup if everything's you know right well as we know um uh the new drag pack challengers come supercharged or one of the engine packages is supercharged yeah as is in the copo camaro and as is in the cobra jet so that's what this new afx class is all about and um i expect that it's going to be a pretty popular class the um the they have a class right now in NHRA, which is uh, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on it. What it's called, but they run those cars heads up uh, without handicap, but they are factored. Uh, they change. They they only allow certain changes, uh, and the um, factoring is done through the supercharger uh pulley sizes and the new class is the same but i haven't read all the rules so i'm expecting to see maybe a larger tire used than they use in the uh, uh, factory stock showdown cars of today that's what that class is called today so i i'm kind of looking forward to seeing that because i frankly don't like the camaro show they got in uh pro stock right now uh, it's all camaros except there's one lonely uh chrysler out there and he always gets eliminated first round so uh it's a pretty uh it's pretty much uh uh all camaro class and i think the fans walk out of the stands when they come out anymore they're not interested in watching that because it's the red car is going to win or the blue car you know they don't care i mean they're all the same so yeah, I mean, down to the point where if it was an all Chrysler thing, you would be bringing people off of I seventy five. Maybe <laughs> one would hope. Yeah, 
you know, I know where he was. Now that I reread his his stuff, I know what he was coming from. To the point where the postdoc back in the day, you know, I mean, here is your basic Barracuda 318 that you bought from Maticati or, or somewhere. You know, right. Pro Stock is that kind of that same body style, right. uh, but every here's your 426 with the dual quads. I mean, the the two Saxon Martin Mopar missile Motown missile kind of version of the show. You know, I mean, we recognize the car, we identify with the car, but it's so wildly redone. If you had a whatever Pro Stock would be today, you couldn't really radicalize a car that much. You know, they keep the same. Uh, body style of that Camaro, and, and it was like what you were saying before. You don't recognize the cars today. I mean, right. all the way down to, to the funny car. You know, it, here's your yeah. sticker. Here's your bubble in the middle. I mean, yep. <laughs> it's nowhere near. You literally have to look hard at the sticker to go, oh, that's what car that is. Correct. But um, you know, there, there there's cars that. Um, there's other classes that have more identification uh, for people. Uh, top sportsman is a class that is uh, uh, a very interesting class to watch. They're door slammers. They run usually the, the cars and top sportsmen are, um, I think a lot of them are nitrous cars. So they still run carburetors. Uh, and they're 200 mile an hour plus cars, all of them, and uh, they go awful doggone fast. Uh, there, a lot of old pro stock cars end up in in top sportsmen, but the the new class is coming out, uh, or this new class coming out, should probably be pretty exciting to watch, because those are cars that you could almost buy at the dealership. Right. You can buy a supercharged uh, Camaro. You can buy a supercharged uh, Cobra Jet. You can buy a supercharged uh, Mopar uh, uh, Challenger. So, hey, you can really identify, and that makes it more fun for the people. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the cool thing was when you had, you know, the Mopar missile type, you understood that's, you know, an A-body. You understood, you know, the E-body kind of stuff. Um, yeah. interesting that they kind of lost that. They actually had at the pier two weekends ago, they had a guy running an old-style pro-stock Colt, yep. you know, and it was like, oh, you just felt so bad for the Mopar teams. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the Colt, we built a Colt in uh, 73, and it got outlawed before we even what? turned the wheel with it. Yeah, I mean, NHR said that uh, there's no way that we're going to allow you to put a Hemi and a Colt and run it in pro stock. (laughs) Thanks. You know, that was one car that we put on the the shelf. The other car that we ended up shelving uh, at the end was the wire car, which is out in my shop right now. Which is exactly uh, what we're going to talk about. We're holding all the phones, all, everybody on on um, hotline, on our email stuff. Hold hold your horses, so to speak, only because the reason why we have Joe Pappas back on, just because we love the guy. 
But we never got a chance to talk about the wire car. And we swear to God, we're opening up the doors right now. We got our Diet Fago right here, baby. It's delicious orange. It says so because it says so on the label. We are just going to sit back and we are going to hear everything about this wire car that was so revolutionary, so wild. And when you see it in person, you can't believe this thing works, but it works like a charm. And guess who was head honcho of all this stuff? Hello, Mr. Pappas. Do tell us about this wire car, won't you? Oh, sure. Love to. In uh, 1973, at the end of the season, it was clear that Chrysler needed to go in a different direction. So we, in ProStock, decided uh, we would not race a missile car in 74. And instead, what we did is we built a test car from an old match race car that Don Carlton had. And we built a very lightweight A-body. It was, uh, at this point, a dart sport. We called it the yellow test car because we painted it yellow just for something different. And we painted it in Emron uh, inside and out because we figured we're going to oil down the car a lot. And it's a lot easier to, you can wash that car with lacquer thinner if it's got Emron on it. So we, we built a car to try to meet the current rule package for pro stock. And what we were aiming to do is build a car that we could run the six and three quarter pound per cubic inch um, weight brake by running an inline um, small uh, inline small block. So, in other words, the A engine, the LA engine. Um, a lot of people call them three eighteens, three forties, three sixties, but that that series of engine with inline valves. And uh, we, we did. Uh, we built that test car. We tested it for a full year. And in the meantime, we started construction of the car that would be our 1975 entry into Pro Stock, which was to be the wire car. Uh, so we did the full year of engine development on the yellow test car leading toward the uh, wire car. And... The wire car started uh, life in about April, I think, or May of 1974. And the chassis was built by uh, one of the fellows who was part of the Ram Charger team back in the dragster days, a guy named Dan Knapp. And he built this chassis under the uh, guidance of Al Adam, who was uh, assigned the, job, the task to build this lightweight pro-stock car by Mr. Hoover. That being said, Al uh, utilized CAD design, if you can believe this, in 1974 wow. uh, within Chrysler, to build a model of the car, and it was a stick model. I'm, I'm kind of trying to simplify it. Uh, today we do everything in 3D solids, but uh, back then you could create a stick model of a chassis, 
and you could uh, test it by assigning values to each of the sticks. Uh, you could say this tube was going to be 125 wall chrome molly, um, and it was uh, going to be part of the main hoop, or this bar was going to be 049 chrome molly, and it was just going to be a little internal brace, and so on and so forth. You, you could assign those properties to each of the sticks. So Al, uh, working with a couple of talented um, designers within Chrysler, uh, did this, built the, this plan for a chassis, and Dan executed the, the chassis plan, and uh, even went so far as to make rectangular box chrome molly uh, frame rails uh, from the front of the car back to about the rear axle area. Wow. And uh, that th those had to be hand fabricated because you can only, uh, you can't buy a uh, rectangular box chrome molly back in the days like that. So Dan Knapp made those and um, welded them together and they're in, still in the car today. But the car was designed to be extremely lightweight. The, um, the plan was to make the car uh, about uh, 2,300 pounds or, or, or so. Uh, we actually beat that by quite a bit. And, um, but the car itself is built like, I guess, a Formula One car of the day. The front motor plate. Uh, also had the steering rack bolted to it and the front suspension. The um, center plate was just at the back of the tra uh, the block, uh, between the block and the transmission. And then there was another plate uh, at the back of the transmission. So with those three pla plates in, in place, and you, you the, everything is very stressed at that point. But when those plates are out of the car, the car is like a wet noodle. Uh, it, it's just, it, it, it's very um, flimsy. Yeah. And the chassis literally ended above the rear axle where the shocks mounted. So to stiffen the back of the car, um, I think it was um, John Reisbeck, uh, a Chrysler uh, engine. I think he was an engineer designer or something like that. But he was a good friend of Al's. He came up with the idea of uh, using cables, stressed cables, to hold the back uh, quarters up. Now, the only thing we had to have back there was a battery and a fuel cell. So we had two thin tubes running back, a cross brace behind the bumper, and these wires stressed the body to hold it in place so it wouldn't wag the tail as it was going down the track. Uh, so that's how it got the nickname, the wire car. But the car, uh, almost every nut and bolt, literally every nut and bolt in the car was titanium. Uh, every suspension piece was titanium. Uh, the pedals, the steering column, the... Literally everything was titanium. The axle outer tubes in the rear end, which was a full floater rear end, 
uh, kind of like a truck would have and um, something like a, uh, I think the dragsters were using full floaters back then. But we had a magnesium center section uh, that looked like a, a, a Dana 60. And then uh, we had titanium tubes that bolted to that. And then the axles uh, would slide into the tubes and they'd have three little bolts on them. And you could pull an axle out, and the, the the tire and wheel would stay on the car. Um, you could just pull the axles out that way. Um, very very cool. But at any rate, the whole car, all the tin work was made from magnesium on the inside, except the firewall and the floor underneath the driver. That was steel, but everything else was um, magnesium. And this so, is back in the day when magnesium wasn't cheap. No, but neither was titanium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> titanium was pretty darned expensive. Yeah. And it also helped to have Trick Titanium as one of your sponsors. So Regis, uh, who founded the company, uh, and we, I think he passed away last year, hmm. uh, but uh, he founded the company and he was our biggest supporter. Uh, he really helped us a lot. Made all those titanium pieces himself, and his and um, saved uh, a lot of weight. Uh, that car, Dick, while it was under construction without an engine and drive line in it, Dick and I could pick up the body and the chassis and carry it in the shop. Yeah, but you're six six two eighty five. You know that's no, a lot. I, I'm five seven, a hundred. I back then I weighed about a hundred and fifty five. Uh, so no, I'm not a big guy. And uh, but uh, that was without uh, glass in it, or certainly without an engine in it, or wheels sure. and tires. But uh, we could carry it uh, and set it up on jack stands, and we did. I mean, it wasn't that heavy. Very lightweight because it's an acid-dipped body, which is the quarters uh, and the roof and the door skins um, were metal. But everything else was uh, plastic on the car uh, as far as body panels went. Front and rear bumpers, fenders, hood, deck lid, uh, door inners were even fiberglass, uh, but the door outers were acid-dipped steel. The rule book didn't say that the whole door had to be steel. It just said that the door out was stuff. We got away with it. <laughs> nice interpretation. Yeah. Well, the rule book was pretty thin back then. You got to remember. Uh, yeah. It uh, it got a lot thicker after they you know heard about this car. Yeah. Uh, they banned everything that we did, so uh, they didn't like that. But the, the finished product as it sits in my shop right now ready to race is 1850 pounds wet wow so that's a very lightweight car 1800 so pounds a, with what engine joe it, it's a it's a th 312 cubic inch uh a engine uh it's a destroked 340 essentially yeah and this this particular engine we have was the engine that bob glidden ran in the uh arrow that won uh pomona in 89 or 79 excuse me i'm uh i'm 
pushing my my dates around <laughs> in seventy nine. Okay. Now, um, all the engines w that we had built for the program, we used them all up. So, uh, you know, the uh, this car would have obviously had a Spihar motor in it, uh, but at the time, our biggest problem with engines was we were cracking the blocks. Right. Uh, they just weren't strong enough. Chrysler came out with the X-Block a little bit after this program ended, but we, we could have raced it in 75 uh, with Ted's motors. I mean, they didn't break every run. I mean, we got a lot of runs out of them, but we'd eventually stress the block so much that we cracked them. But um, we, we just used up everything we had, so when, when the car the restoration was done, we managed to get a Bob Glidden motor uh that um uh he had built for the the arrow and uh, so you know we have a running car now and you know we drive it down the track it doesn't run a whole lot because uh it it's only good to run under a minute uh there's very <laughs> little fluid in the in the cooling system and um you don't want to get it too darn hot because there's a lot of mastic in those cylinder heads and and you know there's i call it cement in the block um you know just uh you know to block off water passages etc so it's a pretty trick motor it makes a lot of horsepower i was so. going to say 312 cube how much horsepower are you pushing <sighs> ish maybe 900 that's it jeez <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's a guess. That's a guess. Yeah. Uh, on, on, the, on the Chrysler conservative side, only 425 horsepower from a Hemi. Hmm, that's about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It probably made as much horsepower as the 73 Hemi. Probably, maybe even a little bit more. I mean, th this motor at least. I, now, I don't know about the motors that Ted had for us in the, at the time. Uh, I do know that this car uh, would hit, based on what we saw with the yellow test car, this car was a good um, 870 car, I'm thinking, which would have made it very competitive. And that's the, quarter mile time, friends. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the speeds, 160 maybe. Um, but, uh, you know... <laughs> We got the car done, or we got it almost done, and uh, I think there was another meeting uh, between Chrysler Management and NHRA, and NHRA said, uh, you will never bring that car to one of our racetracks um, wow. under any circumstances whatsoever, and um, at that point... Uh, Chrysler kind of thought that, well, that could have been one of the factors. The other thing is they, they maybe the thought was we bring another car that's going to, you know, be a dominant type car, and they're just going to start factoring this all over again. Uh, so, you know, take, take which option you want is the reason, but Chrysler said it, after that meeting with NHRA, I think it was probably in November of 74, uh, that uh, they said, okay, we're done. We, we're going to wash our hands of this program. 
and uh, we're not going to run pro stock in 75. And there was no factory pro stock cars in 75. Now, there were Chrysler pro stock cars, um, but they would be independents like Billy Stepp or uh, some of the others or the, the ones that weren't under contract, let's put it that way. So uh, we are, most of the pro stock guys went into super stock or modified or comp eliminator. Uh, and um, there was no direct factory pro stock uh, racing for Chrysler in 75. You would think, what was NHRA thinking? You know, I mean, at that time, you had basically three food groups, and the AMC folks were, were trying, but, they, of course, they didn't have the resources. You know, so, dear NHRA, why would you cut off your nose? Because now you made it the Ford and Chevy show when you had all kind of Chrysler fans flocking to your NHRA events. You know, what did what were they trying? I mean, obviously, it's a rhetorical question, but what yeah. the hell were they thinking? Well, I think I'm probably too prejudiced to answer the question. That's okay. So, we like prejudice uh, when it comes to Mopar here. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I always thought that. It, it really signaled the end of an era, and uh, for us at least. Uh, you know, luck, luckily Don Carlton went on to a really good career, uh, he still had two cars of his own, painted just like the missile, but with Don Carlton's name in place of Mopar missile on the side. And he uh, raced, uh, one of them was used for uh, match racing in pro stock, because that was still a good way to make money. And the other car uh, ran as an altered, a B-altered car. Because uh, an ex-pro stock car fit perfectly into a B-altered class. Both those cars were Hemi-powered. And um, Don did very, very well in 75 and 76. And uh, then he started racing um, uh, altered uh, wheelbase Dodge Colts. Uh, and unfortunately, um, Don... Yeah. Pen passed away at Milan in uh, on July 5th of 1977 uh, in a in a testing accident so I mean yeah. you, you just looked at when they had when Chrysler had to go down to an arrow a colt a cricket you know you might as well have a scooter you know at the end <laughs> I mean there was it, it was just you just felt so bad for Chrysler guys because they were the only ones that really had to go to these little bizarre body styles that didn't, you know, scare anybody. You know, I mean, cool engines. But, you know, when you said you, you had a, a Colt built, Joe, how did that thing handle? Well, um, I, I can tell you it handled very well. We did never, really? we never raced it. Um, Don was, uh, after... The program up here ended in Michigan, yeah. and he went back to North Carolina. They sold him, I think, the Colt for a dollar, and he got the wire car for a dollar. A dollar? Okay. Yes. You know, you got to make it legal, right? Jeez. And, uh, I got two here. Come on. 
something like that. Behind me anyway, stock. Both, both cars ended up in North Carolina, and then Don sold the uh, the Colt um, to. Let's see, it was. Uh, the Belcher family from Roanoke, Virginia. Okay. And Mike Belcher bought the car. He had come back from Vietnam. I think he was in a wheelchair. He bought the car and had had it driven by Linwood Craft. Um, Linwood uh, was a, uh, I think, I'm not sure if he's still alive or not, but he was a very, very, very good driver. And that car competed a lot uh, in pro stock. I don't know that they ever won anything with it, but it was a very consistent car, and it went straight. Uh, any short wheelbase car is going to be hard to drive. Yeah. So uh, that's that goes without saying, but he, he did well with the car. Uh, he then bought the car at some point from, Linwood, or from the Belcher family, kept it about Less than a year, and the Belcher family brought bought it back. And uh, Mike's son still has the car today. It's in Roanoke, Virginia, and it's in his um, business. Uh, he keeps it in the showroom of his business, which is a window tinting company in Roanoke. And, uh, yeah, so the car still exists. Still got a Hemi in it. And... Um, it's a really nice car, as a matter of fact. So yeah, you would think that car. thing would be so front heavy, you know. And then it's it's like driving a roller skate, a very very fast roller skate. And, and that's why you take a look at the body style and you take a look at somebody with a Hemi in there, a fairly built Hemi, and that thing just looks like. How do you a keep the suspension in the back down, you know? And then how do you drive that thing straight? Well, um, it, again, that was a that was a good that was a well designed chassis that was also built by Dan Knapp, and um, we um, a, and Dan was an excellent builder, and I believe that either Mr. Coddington or Al Adam uh, directed the chassis build on that one as well. I will have to ask Al about that or uh, Tom about that. But um, that was a good car. The, the only thing with the, the Hemi Colt, you um, you didn't get the good weight brakes. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, and I don't know uh, later on how they factored the cars. Because back in 75, I went back to college and finished up, got my degree, graduated in... Um, the middle of 76 and i just you know i wasn't paying a ton of attention to the running the colts at the time uh i was kind of busy in school <laughs> and, and um i did speak with don on a fairly regular basis and when he came to detroit for a match race like at Milan, uh, he called me and i'd meet him out there and i have pictures of uh uh, he and his son Don, uh, who was like fourteen, fifteen at the time, uh, and myself at Milan, um, with a car with a duster that said Don Carlton on it. Yeah. And 
but uh, I, I really didn't pay a lot of attention to the the uh, Colt, uh, the Colts as they ran either in altered or in, as a match race car in pro stock. A lot, you know, in match racing, you know, you go to the track. You, uh, uh, if you're going to run Jenkins or you know whoever you're going to run, you guys just agree. Okay, we're going to the car's going to. I'm going to run. You're going to run seven pounds per cubic inch. Well, that's what we'll run. Or the, you didn't even weigh the cars most of the time. You just run what you brung type thing, and had fun. And you got paid to make three passes, and winner, you know, it didn't matter who really won. You still got paid the same amount. So it was just all fun. But it was a good way to make a living. So match race cars were, there were a lot of Colts out there running in, in match racing back in the day. Ronnie Lyles had one. Billy Stepp had one. Ronnie Sox had yeah. one. Uh, um, Linwood Craft had one, which was Don's. So there, there were a number of them out there. I think that's where, if you're a Chrysler fan growing up in the 60s, you became disillusioned because if Ronnie Sox or Mr. Carlton won, you're going to run out to your Dodge or, or Plymouth dealership and say, give me one of those e-body things. You know, if a Colt won, nobody was running out to the Dodge dealer and saying, give me one of them things because I'll dominate Woodward. <laughs> You know, that's I mean, true. See, you know, and, and that's the thing. If you're the corporation, my guess would be that they didn't really. Uh, that wasn't a big selling point for them. No. Uh, you know, they they imported those. Uh, they were built by Mitsubishi, and uh, they just they were just cars. Uh, <laughs> they weren't anything special. <laughs> They weren't built in Hamtramck, that's for sure. Amen, brother. You know, it, it, the whole nine yards of that was, it, it's just the Chrysler fans, they just lost their way. I mean, not out of their own, but I mean, out of necessity. I mean, you, who cares if you win with an arrow? Who cares if you win with a cricket? It just looked so weird to see, you know, a snorkel scoop out of side of a, of a Colt, you know. Yeah. And if you saw a Colt at, like, say, the if, whatever that that shopping center was at 13 and woodward you know yeah and you saw one in the parking lot you went eh you know yeah i know a nice, i know nice little wheezy four barrel all right here we go um from the hotline here from uh questions for joe pappas here's an interesting one joe and and this would be the the okay so what they're saying is if you had to pick a year for the greatest year in drag racing, that would be what, in your estimation? Oh, well, for me, it was 1973. Um, we, were, we were pretty much unstoppable in 1973. We didn't run as many events, uh, first off. And the, the missile was not ever used as a uh, match race car. But we had so much fun going to the races. Uh, we raced, uh, I think, 11 events in IHRA. Uh, I could, no, I think it was nine events in IHRA, and we only lost two of them. And we were runner-up in both those races. And uh, NHRA, only four events. We won one runner-up at Pomona. 
and uh, the other two, English Town and Indianapolis, we kind of, I think we went out in the semifinals. But that was a great year. Uh, we just had a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed working on that 73 car a lot. It was easy to work on. And for me, it was it was just a lot of fun. Uh, 74 in the testing program was a lot of work. Of course, so any racing is a lot of work. But it was, uh, you didn't have the, we never competed in front of anybody. Uh, we, we ran against the clock, and that's it, and took data. So it was a different kind of year for us. But for me, 73 was the best year. When you were testing the wire car, where did you test it at? We actually never tested the wire car itself. We tested the yellow test car. Are the yellow okay? The uh, when Chrysler washed their hands of the program, they said you're not. We can't run the car in pro stock, so they gave the car essentially to Don for a dollar or something like that, and he ended up selling it uh, sometime later to a couple, uh, uh, Betty, and I can't remember her husband, but uh, uh, the driver was Betty Sigmund from North Carolina, and she bracket raced the car. The wire car? Or the yep. yellow car? The wire car. Yep, the bra- it, was, it was bracket raced. Uh, it um, was... Um, reasonably successful betty i think was afraid of the car and had somebody else drive it once and they said oh it's a great car you know it goes nice and straight and all that but i think she was a little spooked by it and she actually crashed it and Mm. uh damn heavily damaged the right front corner of the car if i remember correctly it got repaired i think clyde and donnie repaired it uh, and then, um, they held on to the car for a number of years, sold it. Uh, it probably went through a couple more owners and, uh, Jeff Johnson, who is known for his, uh, Mopar, uh, events that he would often, uh, um, uh, oversee, uh, bought the car and then Arnie Klan bought the car and had the restoration done. Uh, so it went through probably four owners before Don, uh, before Arnie got the car, and he is the current owner of the of the wire car. I mean, did but, you keep uh, tabs on that? I mean, obviously now you did, but, I mean, throughout the decades, did you keep tabs where the wire car was? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, um, I, have, okay. I, I, I knew that uh, Don sold it, and it went to a lady. Uh, I didn't know her name, but uh, and then later on, Jeff uh, Johnson uh, contacted me, and I sent him a lot of the construction photos. And um, think you know, with all the you know, I had a pile of titanium, like the rear end uh, setup sitting on the floor, and I had all those pictures, the titanium drive shaft, the uh, some of the other parts, and. And we talked a lot about it, and he um, did a, a little bit of a cosmetic uh, exterior um, touch-up on the car. 
but then when Ernie bought it, it sat for a year or two, and then he did a full-blown good restoration of it uh, where the car was completely stripped and uh, all the damage that had happened to the car over the years. And apparently there was a lot of, uh, when you acid dip these cars, they get pretty flimsy. Mm. So the quarters in the roof were a little messed up and uh, a lot of stuff. The frame never really got straightened out perfectly after the Betty's, uh, Betty uh, tweaked it into the guardrail. So um, Arnie had, uh, the, had to have the frame straightened and uh, the car is pretty nice now. I mean, it's uh, as I remember it. When I last saw it in North Carolina, when I dropped it off down there, so um, yeah, it's a pretty nice little car. Yeah, I and mean, it's, we saw it. It looks absolutely like you guys just finished it. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's because we're not racing it. <laughs> no battle cars. Uh, a little scratch here and there from you know yeah, abuse, but, I guess. But you know, it it, it is a nice looking car. And uh, it does uh, garner a lot of attention from you people. You think? Yeah. I mean, when yeah, you pop that, does. you know, when you take a look at that back and that the uh, trunk lid comes off and you go, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people, uh, uh, they always, what are these wires about? And I said, well, that's what holds back the car up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, more questions I mean, coming in. I, I'm. Um, go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. No, I, I was just going to say that I was just at uh, an event in October uh, in a North at Mooresville Drag Strip in wow. uh, Mooresville, North Carolina. Uh, went there with Don Carlton's son, Don, yeah. and his wife, and uh, like we had had for the last couple years now. Uh, it was it's a nostalgia pro stock race held in his dad's honor. Hmm. So we went down this year and um, we were there together. And actually, Don and his wife will be at my house uh, on Thursday. Uh, they're coming up to spend a little time up here. And uh, his wife's never been to Michigan, so what? that'll be. I'm sure that'll be a shock for her. Yeah, okay. Well, dear Mopar heads, you want to go to Joe Pappas' house at 555 Main Street this Thursday. <laughs> Drop by, ask Joe any questions you have about your Mopar. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, are, you are putting up the gates and the armed guards out front, aren't you? you yeah. These- yeah. <laughs> we we dispute anybody that shows up. You know. <laughs> We're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, which is very nice. Yeah, well, we basically know where you kind of live, but job well done. All right, here's another question. The yellow car is where, if anywhere at all, from the CKWI Radio 76 hotline? Okay, as I understand it, it is living on Long Island somewhere in in somebody's backyard right now. Uh, That's about, I thought the car was destroyed, and I was told that. But uh, turns out that that was incorrect, and it still is alive. Well, it's still a car. I don't know if it's all there. It's probably sitting on blocks or something. But it's in on Long Island in uh, New York. So, if the folks from Long Island are listening, 
Friends, somebody has a humongous chunk of Mopar history, you know, that they're weed whipping around every weekend, you know, that this thing, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, w- would you take a look at it, Joe? I mean, if they said, look, here's pictures and all that stuff, would you want to take a look at it now or would you be eager to look at that? I'd look at it for sure. Um, you know, these... All these cars, uh, over the years, to keep them more current, uh, they always had to be modified. Yeah. I and mean, that's that's the nature of the beast. So I'd like to see how many of the original bones are still there. Yeah. Um, I do know that it was damaged a couple of times. Uh, I don't know the total extent of it, but, um, again, my information, you know, had been that the car was gone it was uh not savable any longer but i did speak to one of the last oh um you know really good owners that it had a guy by the name of eddie ratliff uh eddie's from uh, i think he's from north carolina i'm not 100 percent sure we just talked on the phone and he told me yeah the car's in such and such a place and the guy knows what it is, but doesn't want to part with it, I guess. so. He knows what it is, but he's using it as a flower pot. Yeah. Dear kinda. sir. You know, Yard art. <laughs> uh, I, I got, you know, a, a 75 gold duster back here that I will trade you. You know, <laughs> holy Lord, kids. You know, somebody yeah. find him. Any there, Here's an APB. For all CKWI Radio 76 listeners, it, look in everybody's backyard starting tomorrow morning. You know, <laughs> rain, shine, no matter what. we got to find this yellow car. It just can't be sitting on blocks. You know, I mean, oh. what do you do? Have the family barbecue and go, oh, yeah, see that thing? It's a piece of history. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, uh, I hate to say it, but they're cars. And... They're, they're objects. Uh, <gasps> they're Mopars. People have funny ways of dealing with what they have. Uh, some people respect it, and they they have the, the means to, you know, make it something again. But others, uh, they're all, everybody's different. It's weird. Why would you buy it just to make it a prop? You know what I mean? Yeah. But then again, if if you see it, you know, it's kind of like seeing, I would think, assume, that it's like seeing your high school sweetheart and she looks slightly different now than she did then. (laughs) Well, yeah, don't we all? (laughs) Yeah, well, no, but I mean, if you you take a look at that Mopar missile that, that we saw you in Ohio with, that thing looks like, you know, like we said, factory fresh, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... To take yeah. a look at this yellow car now, if they, you're right, if they try to update it, you know, or, or try to put yeah. some kind of J.C. Whitney kind of products on top of it, and I'm being nice, you know, yeah. it you'd kind of well, like, oh, I can't look anymore. Yeah, the, the problem is with the acid dip bodies, they uh, don't weather well if they're left outside, and because um, you really never get the acid out of the metal. Um we tried, uh, but I have uh, seen firsthand cars that were acid dipped, and then uh, years later, 
people try to restore them and there's not much left of the body so you ended up you end up putting new quarters on it or yeah. a new roof panel or whatever and uh it's a lot of work and most people don't have the money to do that it's very as you know uh john it is bloody expensive to uh do any kind of uh restoration work yeah you'd almost uh, want to have a cocaine habit more than drag racing you know for yeah, money cheaper <laughs> Really quickly, we have two more questions, except for Don Carlton. Except for Don Carlton, who would you say was your favorite driver? That's interesting. Oh, okay. Uh, in pro stock, oh boy, I've, I've got uh, several. Go. Sure. <laughs> Herb, Herb McCandless, uh Ronnie Sox, Mike Fonz. They were my favorite. Uh, of course, I worked with Mike and uh for a couple of years and um have known him since i was a kid but um i'm you know i'm kind of prejudiced i think that ronnie Sox was an exceptional driver but i think herb mccandless was probably as good as they come because uh, his sons are listening um <laughs> maybe maybe not um uh, I'll see Herb in a couple of weeks in Chicago. We're going to be uh, at the McCacken. Uh, our cars, both our cars will be there. Uh, one of Herb's um, uh, 72 Demon will be there. Uh, Herb will be there. And Herb, uh, Ted Spihar, Butch Leal, and myself will be doing a seminar on Saturday and Sunday at the McCacken Show in Chicago on um, early pro stock racing. So that should be, I hope it's going to be fun. What date is this? It's uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving. In Chicago. In Chicago at the Stevens Convention Center, which is in Rosemont, uh, right at the edge of uh, O'Hare Airport. Is this a traveling show, Joe? I mean, no, you know, it's... Um, I was no, gonna... actually, it's not. Uh, McCacken is held every year the same weekend. And it's, call, it, it's called McCacken, but it stands for Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals. It started, Corvette. Out, as a, it started out as a Corvette show years <laughs> and years ago, but they expanded it to uh, muscle cars. <laughs> And specialty cars. Now, the beauty of it is it's uh, really a fabulous show because it only takes, it's all by invitation only. They only take the best of the best. Uh, they, uh, they only choose cars that are ultra nice and they're accurate. They, they have these, they have a, uh, one area set aside so you can have your car gold certified or platinum certified. Wow. They have hoists. They have teams of people that go over them and look for all the chalk marks. Of course, you won't find any on ours, <laughs> but, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they, they look for all that stuff, the right fasteners and everything. It's pretty high end, and it's really a wonderful show. And uh, I will say that... Uh, We've been there twice, uh, in uh, I think uh, sixteen and in eighteen, we were there, 
and we had a really, really good time, and uh, we're looking forward to going back. Uh, it's put on by a gentleman by the name of Bob Ashton, who is a Michigan guy, and um, he works all year long to produce this show, and it is uh, fabulous. Dear Bob, you know, Chicago's nice and everything, but hey, how about the uh, South Lion uh, Civic Center? <laughs> Somewhere a little closer to the homeland here. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. are you, are you going to do anything in Michigan? You know, I mean, like shows or, I mean, because these speaking events sound extremely exciting to go to. Well, um, we actually had both cars at M1 for Dream Cruise. What did you think? Uh, I like M1. Um, not, I don't want to disparage anybody, but there wasn't much foot traffic in there. Yeah, why? Um, yeah. Because obviously you have to pay to get in the place. And <laughs> for the Dream people Cruise. Don't like to, people don't like to pay to get into things. No. Um, but... It was, uh, I'm glad we went. It was really, really hot, and uh, we were kind of down in the infield area of the, of the racetrack. Nice. Um, but And we were with a number of other cars, too. So it, it wasn't, a, we had a good time talking to people and visiting uh, and talking to the people that did come by to see us. So it was a good time. But, um, yeah, uh, we... I've had the cars at the old uh, Chrysler Museum a couple of times for uh, the, uh, what do they call that, uh, the, the Chrysler employee uh, show that they have every June. But uh, we haven't been back to that in a few years. So we don't, to answer your question, we don't really do a lot of stuff within Michigan. Uh, there aren't many big there's not really a Mopar show. Uh, I would like to at some point go to the Red Barn show, uh, uh, which is kind of, uh, they have that Red Barn weekend yeah. for Mopars. That would be fun. Um, it looks like uh, the Challenger is going to go back out west after McCacken. Uh, the Transporter is going to go back out west. I'll have the Duster here the wire car, and I'll have my trailer. But Arnie's going to take them back uh, probably to Las Vegas uh, where he's um, uh, living. And uh, But I'll still have the duster. So well, there might be something going on that we can take it out to. I mean, how busy is your 2022 going to be? I don't know yet. Um uh, I honestly don't. Uh, usually we don't get any requests for shows uh, until after the first of the year. Uh, I do know that my wife and I will go to uh, Carlisle, uh, but we just, uh, like this year, we just hopped in the family car and drove there. And uh, we spend the weekend and visit with all our old friends uh, I actually spent almost most of the weekend with the McCandless family again. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, those are good, good times. We go to the Mopar Nationals every year, so we're, we're always down there. 
and we uh, are in that tent that you saw us in mm -hmm. that's uh, um, supplied to us by uh, of the uh, Denny Lobby, who owns HDK Suspensions. <laughs> uh, he puts on that uh, little deal in the tent, and we're always there. Uh, he's a wonderful host. He actually had the Butch Leal B-Modified car that you saw uh, at the Mas Nationals uh, when you were there visiting with yeah. us. Uh, and um, so we, we see Butch, and we have a good time. You know, but uh, Michigan is just, there's not much going on for Mopar shows except yeah. the Chrysler deal. All right, so does that not sound the siren out there? Obviously, there's promoters out there, and there's a ton of them. And believe you me, there's enough Mopar fans in the Great Lakes state that would not like to travel to Chicago before Thanksgiving, you know, <laughs> to see. I mean, what a, if you're a Mopar fan, what a powerhouse lineup that is. You know, is that yeah. going to be Simon the Cast, or is it going to be streamed, would you know? I don't think so. Uh, it's going to be hosted by Jeff Stunkard, who wrote the book on the, on the missile program. Uh, and Jeff is uh, the managing editor of Mopar Action Magazine as well. But uh, a lot of people are familiar with him from watching... Uh, uh, Meekum Auctions. Oh, He's yeah. kind of a real, real gravelly-voiced uh, commentator <laughs> they have talking about uh, muscle cars, mostly Mopar muscle cars. Uh, he does a lot of uh, writing for them as well. But um, Jeff is going to moderate this uh, panel, and uh, he'll ask all the leading questions like he always does. And we'll have a good time. Yeah, I mean, everybody else's heart sinks. Damn you, Illinois. You know, <laughs> I mean, isn't well, there going to be like a tornado or something that weekend? You would like to keep it, bring it over to Cobo Hall for just a weekend? Yeah. Or PNC well, Center, whatever the hell it is now? Yeah, I don't know what it is, to tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, we, uh, yeah. Uh, no, um, you know, that that show has been, it's like, uh, you know, you, you go to the PRI show, well, it's in Indy, yeah. and you go to the SEMA show, and it's in Las Vegas, well, McCacken is always Chicago, and it's been there for a long time, and so it's kind of a fixture there, I guess. Yeah, change for a new view. you going to go to PRI? Are you anywhere in that? Uh, probably not uh, <laughs> this gonna year. Say <laughs> the enthusiasm uh, there was rocking. Well, you know, my wife and I have gone many, many times, and uh, we. It seems like the last couple of years we we haven't gone just because we got a lot of stuff going on, and yeah. there's always family stuff. And uh, I think it's uh, in the early in December, if my memory is correct. So uh, yeah, it's just before Christmas. Uh, so yeah, not this year. Yeah, it's a it's a weird time to have an event that big, you know, December tenth yeah. and eleventh. You know, yeah, I, and it's a fabulous show. If you like racing, you got to go to PRI at some point. Well, we're going. Uh, we're there the the ninth and tenth this year for the first time. So, oh, good. We've never heard seen this show. We've only heard good things about it. You know, so okay, let's go talk about let's go. 
it's not. Um, I, I would. It's a. It's not. It's clearly obvious, as he says, being very tongue-tied, that uh, Joe Pappas is obviously a fascinating guest, and perhaps one of the top eight that we've ever had on our show here, and all the three hundred now fifty-nine podcasts that we've had. You know, we've kept Joe way too long. Perhaps this is the longest podcast we've ever produced. Oh, and we could go for another seven, eight, nine hours, except for I'm sure Joe would like to pass out somewhere. However, <laughs> it, it is amazing, Joe. You know, when when things start going in 2022, you know, especially in the springtime or in the wintertime where we can get people fired up about drag racing, we're going to give you a, a fine invitation to come back again if you'd be so kind. You know, because oh, sure. it, it yeah. just fascinates. I realize you're what now, 29, 30 years old, you know, uh, a little <laughs> older than that. <laughs> Try that by three. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. But it's just your zeal and your passion and how you explain everything so well is, is I mean, we're obviously fans. You know, and I think all the folks that are listening to us around the world right now are too. Also, remember that, kitties, this will be a podcast, and it will be coming up uh, within uh, 48 hours. So uh, if you want to, uh, you know, bring this to your fans or, or to your work and play it there, you won't be disappointed when you hear Joe Pappas. Whew, my God, my man. All right. Let us um, – and. It, <laughs> All right, that's everything that we had to cover. Joe, thank you so very much. Stay on the line, won't you, for just a second. We'd like to talk to you offline. You bet, John. Thank you. Awesome. Joe Pappas from the Mopar Missile. People, you were just blessed. (laughs) Stephen Wolf, born to be wild here on the home of your high-performance since the 60s and 70s. CKWI Radio 76, the only station that gives a damn about drag racing. Get your motor up.